Welcome to the Game Before the Money podcast, brought to you by nbautographs.com. That's N as in Namath, B as in Bolitnikoff, nbautographs.com. The Game Before the Money podcast. Celebrating pro and college football history, one legend at a time. Hi everybody, welcome to the Game Before the Money podcast. I'm Jackson Michael, author of the Game Before the Money and writer-director of We Were the Oilers, the Love You Blue era. Very special episode today as we celebrate Nebraska football coaching legend Tom Osborne and the rich tradition of Nebraska football. This is part one of two parts. It will focus on Coach's early life, the early years of Nebraska football, and Tom Osborne's time as an assistant when the great Bob Devaney was head coach at the University of Nebraska. Many people affectionately refer to Bob Devaney as the Bob father of Nebraska football. But for many of us, Coach Tom Osborne symbolizes Nebraska football. Nebraska's rich tradition, however, dates back to the late 1800s. Their star player at the time was George Flippin, who was one of the first African Americans to play college football. Nebraska went through several team names, including the Bug Eaters, after hardy Nebraska farmers who needed to eat bugs to survive an early 1890s economic depression. The team was also known as the Antelopes and the Old Gold Knights, before becoming the Cornhuskers in 1900. Nebraska rapidly carved out a nationally competitive program with teams powered by future NFL pioneer and Hall of Famer Guy Chamberlain. The 1920s brought wins over the famed Notre Dame Four Horsemen teams in two out of three games. They even shut out Red Grange's famous Illinois powerhouse in 1925. Coaching legend Dana X. Bible coached Nebraska for eight seasons and won six conference championships. Nebraska stood as a premier football school when the Cornhuskers reached the 1941 Rose Bowl. And in their first 50 years, the school's football program suffered only three losing seasons. Nebraska then slipped a few notches during World War II and the 1950s. Oscar Wilde wrote that life imitates art far more than art imitates life. And indeed, Coach Tom Osborne's life story is kind of like a novel or a movie in some ways. He was born in a small Nebraska town in the late stages of the Great Depression. Along the way, he would become an outstanding athlete and a legendary college football coach, winning multiple national championships. All in his home state, a state that would eventually elect him to Congress. Again, that might sound like a great movie or a great novel, but it's the true story of Coach Tom Osborne. Osborne was born in Hastings, Nebraska in 1937. At that time, the town's population was about 15,000. A few years before that, a man named Edwin Perkins invented a powdered drink in Hastings, Nebraska that you likely enjoyed as a kid called Kool-Aid. During World War II, Hastings became home to an important naval ammunition depot, which produced a substantial percentage of the U.S. Navy's artillery during the war. 
But we're not here to talk about Kool-Aid, World War II, or even politics. We're here to talk about football and the life story of Coach Tom Osborne. Osborne's hometown is a little over 100 miles from Nebraska's mecca of college football, Memorial Stadium in Lincoln. And like you'd see in a movie or read about in a novel, Coach Osborne remembers going to games there as a kid. Oh, I think I was probably in uh, maybe sixth or seventh grade. I went to maybe one Nebraska football game a year. They had something called the knot hole section where you could get in for 25 cents. At that time, Nebraska wasn't particularly good. Like in uh, 21 years there, between 1941 or so and 1962, they only had three winning seasons. Oklahoma pretty much dominated the conference during that period of time. As Osborne garnered his own memories of Nebraska football, he helped generate memories for his hometown. In high school, he helped his team win a state basketball championship. He won the discus event at the state track meet and placed second in the 440-yard dash. Did I mention that he was All-State in both football and basketball? Not only that, he was named Nebraska's High School Athlete of the Year by the Omaha World Herald in 1955. His outstanding high school athletic career recently landed him in the National High School Hall of Fame. Even his Legion baseball team won a state championship. In fact, he sparkled on the baseball diamond enough to earn a pro baseball contract offer. He chose to go to college instead and attended Hastings College in his hometown. He played both football and basketball in college. He played football well enough that the San Francisco 49ers drafted him in the 19th round of the 1959 NFL Draft. He never played a regular season game for San Francisco, but he played for the Washington Redskins in 1960 and 1961, catching a 60-yard touchdown pass against the St. Louis Cardinals from quarterback Norm Snead in 1961 likely stands as his biggest career highlight. People are often surprised that Coach Tom Osborne was also an exceptional athlete who even made the NFL. That's likely because his coaching career puts him on the short list of the greatest college coaches of all time. His coaching career started with a fairly obscure assignment. The year is 1962. Nebraska just hired Wyoming head coach Bob Devaney to take over the football program. They finished the previous season 3-6-1 and and hoped that Devaney would turn things around. I had been playing in the NFL and came back to Nebraska, University of Nebraska, to go to graduate school. And he had just been hired at Nebraska from the University of Wyoming in January of 1962. So I went over to talk to him and asked him if I could help coach spring ball to kind of ease my way out of athletics. And uh, he said he had all the coaches he needed, but he wanted me to maybe move in with some kids that were in the dorm that were causing trouble. And uh, he told me if I would keep those guys in line that he would give me free meals on the training table. So I did that. And then uh, apparently went well. And then when spring ball came, he said he'd like to have me out as a Coach Osborne fills us in on Bob Devaney's immediate impact. He certainly changed the culture. I think the preceding year in 1961, they had won three games and lost six. And uh, his first year, they went nine and two. So, uh, tremendous turnaround. Bob Devaney indeed turned things around for the Nebraska Cornhuskers. They won their first six games under Devaney, finishing 1962 with a nine and two record and a bowl game victory over Miami. 
1963, Devaney raised the stakes and the prominence of Nebraska football. The Huskers ran the Big 8 table, topping rival Oklahoma and defeating Auburn in the Orange Bowl. They finished 6th in the AP poll, the team's first top 10 finish since 1940, the season that led them to the Rose Bowl. In 1964, 1965, and 1966, Nebraska won at least 9 games and played in either the Cotton, Orange, or Sugar Bowl. Although they lost all three of those bowl games, the Cornhuskers were among college football's elite, and Devaney stood as one of the most respected coaches in the country. Osborne tells us what he thinks some of Devaney's strengths were as a head coach. He had a good feel for people. He related to the people, a good sense of humor. He also brought a staff with him. I think he brought five or six coaches with him and kept a couple from the preceding staff. And these guys all pretty much understood each other. The team slipped in 1967 and 68 and finished 6-4 and four both years. Devaney lost some of the popularity that he had gained among Nebraska's faithful. He promoted Osborne, who had been working for him as an assistant coach at this point, to offensive coordinator before the 1969 season. Osborne made two significant contributions that would help lift Nebraska football to new heights. The first was to install the I-formation offense. The second was to convince Bob Devaney to start a weight training program for Nebraska football. Most coaches in the 1960s thought weight training slowed athletes down and limited their dexterity. Devaney approved the weight training program despite being somewhat skeptical. Both the weight training and the new offense provided immediate results. The Cornhuskers nailed down a 9-2 record in 1969 and subsequently thrashed Georgia in the Sun Bowl 45-6. They ended that year ranked 11th in the AP pool. That was just the beginning. In 1970, Nebraska trounced Wake Forest in Week 1, then tied third-ranked USC on the road in Week 2. The Huskers won their next three games by a combined score of 84-17, and then racked up over 100 points over their next two games. They duplicated that feat later in the season. At the end of the regular season, the Huskers stood 10-0-1, and ranked number three in the AP poll. They faced a dangerous LSU squad in the Orange Bowl. Coach Osborne remembers the game for us. It was a very high-scoring game. We played well on defense. We had a quarterback named uh, Burt Jones that was uh, later played in the NFL. And they had some good players, but we, uh, we kind of wore them down a little bit and went ahead in the fourth quarter. And we didn't blow them out, that's for sure. Burt Jones went on to become an outstanding NFL quarterback for the Baltimore Colts in the 1970s. Meanwhile, the 17-12 Orange Bowl victory launched Nebraska into the AP poll's top ranking, earning Nebraska their first-ever national championship. Back then, before both the college football playoff and the BCS, national championship titles were often split when voting polls didn't agree. In 1970, Texas won the UPI national championship, and Ohio State won the National Football Foundation poll. Both the UPI and National Football Foundation polls were decided before bowl games, however, and both Texas and Ohio State lost their bowl games. The AP poll had ranked Texas and Ohio State number one and two, respectively, in the weeks leading into the bowl games, but Nebraska vaulted over both with their Orange Bowl victory to claim the AP title. Nebraska entered the 1971 season ranked number two in the preseason poll. After week one, however, they jumped to the top spot. Quarterback Jerry Tagge masterfully guided the offense. 
Johnny Rogers, nicknamed Johnny the Jet Rogers, for his tremendous speed and agility, led the Big 8 in receptions, receiving yards, and receiving touchdowns. The Husker defense, led by 1971 Outland Trophy winner Larry Jacobson and future Outland Trophy winner Rich Glover on the line, crushed their opponents. The line also featured Willie Harper and sophomore John Dutton, who had long NFL careers ahead. Going into Week 10, Nebraska had outscored opponents 345-47. to That's nearly a 300-point margin. Nebraska held on to the top spot throughout the season, and looked like possibly one of the greatest teams of all time. While Nebraska clobbered their opponents, their Big 8 rival Oklahoma posted even higher point totals. The wishbone offense installed by their offensive coordinator Barry Switzer in 1970 had been perfected by quarterback Jack Mildren and star running back Greg Pruitt. The Sooners scored over 40 points in six of their first nine games, including scores of 55, 56, and even 75 points in a single game. All of the domination that both teams showed led to a showdown on Thanksgiving Day at Oklahoma between number one Nebraska and the number two Sooners. Both teams had held those positions for several weeks after OU climbed to number two in mid-October. The 1971 Nebraska-Oklahoma matchup was one of the handful of games that sports writers dubbed the game of the century in the week leading up to it. Other games hyped as the game of the century, such as a scoreless tie between Army and Notre Dame in 1946, and the 1966 Notre Dame Michigan State matchup that ended in a 10 10 tie, arguably didn't live up to their pregame hype. The 1971 Nebraska Oklahoma game, however, well, that one really might stand as the game of the century. I'll take a moment to place some perspective on this for those of you who don't remember the pre BCS and playoff era in college football. Having the top two teams play each other late in the season was a big deal. Rarely did that ever happen. And then add to the fact that at that time, Nebraska and Oklahoma were the bitterest of rivals. We're talking Ohio State-Michigan bitter, Alabama-Auburn bitter, maybe even Hatfield and McCoy bitter. And a lot of Nebraska and Oklahoma fans to this day still have a great disdain for the other school. Nebraska entered Oklahoma's Owen Field with a 29-game unbeaten streak. The Cornhuskers had the nation's top-ranked defense and the Sooners the number one offense. The game was played on Thanksgiving Day and at that time garnered the largest television audience ever for a college football game. Nebraska forced OU to punt about four minutes into the game. Johnny the Jet Rogers fielded the punt at the Nebraska 30 amidst a swarm of tacklers. He made a couple of exciting cuts and even ran backwards to escape. He broke into the open field and raced into the end zone for the game's first score. I highly recommend searching for that play online. It's a bit like the famous Marcus Allen touchdown in Super Bowl 18. Johnny Rogers' touchdown would give Nebraska a 7-0 lead. The Cornhuskers built a 14-3 lead before Oklahoma nudged ahead late in the first half with two touchdowns. The second came with just seconds left in the first half and capped a four-play drive that covered over 70 yards. Oklahoma led 17-14 at the half. It was the first time Nebraska trailed their opponent at any point during the 1971 season. Oklahoma had some great players on that team. The biggest problem was the wishbone. That was the first time we saw the wishbone, and it's such a different type of offense that it 
caused our defense some problems. After halftime, Nebraska literally pounded out two third-quarter touchdowns by running back Jeff Kinney, his second and third touchdowns of the game. Those touchdowns put the Cornhuskers ahead 28-17, to but Oklahoma pressed closer as OU quarterback Jack Mildren scored his second touchdown of the game to cap a 72-yard drive as the clock dwindled to less than 30 seconds left in the third quarter. The scoreboard read 28-24 in Nebraska's favor. Soon afterwards, however, Oklahoma rubbled 69 yards in 11 plays. The Sooners scored on Mildred's second touchdown pass of the game to John Harrison. Oklahoma led 31-28 with seven minutes left. The Huskers took the ball on their own 26. On third down, Jeff Kenny broke three tackles to pull Nebraska to midfield. The Sooners then forced a third and eight as the clock dipped under the five-minute mark. Johnny Rogers made a tough catch on his knees to convert the first down at the Sooner 35. Runs by Kinney and Rogers pulled Nebraska to the 15 as the game's hourglass sifted under the three-minute mark. Jeff Kinney, wearing only half of a shredded jersey in the frosty Thanksgiving afternoon, punched the ball in the end zone with slightly over 90 seconds left for his fourth touchdown of the game, giving Nebraska a 35-31 lead. Coach Osborne fills us in on Nebraska's game plan during that critical 12-play scoring drive. Well, they were playing a 6-1 defense. We eventually began to run a counter dive, which meant the fullback went off the right guard, and then the eye back off the left guard, or vice versa. And that really neutralized that uh, middle linebacker. He pretty much had to stay in place. He couldn't flow, and uh, our center was able to get out and block him. And as a result, we ran the ball, I think, all but one play on the last drive. Jeff Kenny had a, a very fine ball game, and Johnny Rogers caught a key third down pass. As the clock ticked down under overcast skies, Oklahoma gathered itself for a final drive. On third down, Nebraska's Larry Jacobson sacked Mildren for a substantial loss, pinning the Sooners back to their own 15. As Oklahoma's season rested on the outcome of one last fourth down gasp, the Huskers' Rich Glover crashed down upon Mildren like a tidal wave, knocking the ball backwards and into the hands of Larry Jacobson, ensuring Nebraska's victory on the Oklahoma turf. Jacobson would be named that year's Outland Trophy winner. Rich Glover would win the prestigious award the next year. Osborne says that Glover made a huge difference in the game of the century win over Oklahoma. We were playing an odd defense. We had Glover on the center's nose, and in those days they didn't do a lot of zone blocking where the center and the guards worked together on a nose guard, and their center was a guy named Tom Brahane. He was a good player, but to have the center block Rich Glover one-on-one was very difficult, and as a result, Rich made a huge number of tackles. He was a former high school wrestler, wasn't the biggest guy in the world, probably 220 pounds, but he um, had great mobility and strength, and he was a major asset for us in that game. Glover's 22 tackles. Jeff Kinney's four touchdowns and 171 yards rushing. Johnny Rogers' amazing punt return and clutch receptions. Those performances and more cast a legendary bronze upon this game in Nebraska folklore. 
Two days later, Bear Bryant's undefeated Alabama squad trounced previously unbeaten Auburn and 1971 Heisman Trophy winner Pat Sullivan. That set up an Orange Bowl between two giant unbeatens, Nebraska and Alabama. The pregame hype and the game drama didn't match that of the Thanksgiving game of the century. Nebraska pulverized the Crimson Tide 38-6 to claim the Cornhuskers' second straight national championship. This one by a clear consensus in the polls. Coach Osborne pointed out an interesting fact. Three players who contributed greatly to Nebraska's success, including quarterback Jerry Tagge, went to high school together in a small Midwestern town known for football, although located outside of the state boundaries of Nebraska, the town of Green Bay, Wisconsin. We had an assistant coach named George Kelly who had recruited that area before and knew about Jerry and, and I think actually had three starters from the same high school up there on some of our very best teams they had. Great taggy quarterback. We had Dave Mason and Jim Anderson who were defensive backs. So it was pretty phenomenal to have one high school produce three starters on our national championship team. Nebraska head coach Bob Devaney returned in 1972, hoping to claim a third straight national championship. Johnny Rogers won the Heisman Trophy. Rich Glover won the Outland Trophy. But the team lost its opener at UCLA as future NFL kicker Efren Herrera booted a game-winning field goal with 22 seconds left. Nebraska ended the season 9-2-1, far outside of the national championship race, despite dominating Notre Dame in the Orange Bowl. After the season, Bob Devaney stepped down from his head coaching role and handed the reins to Tom Osborne. I was with him for 11 years, and then he stepped down and said he'd like to have me be the head coach. And that was in 1973. From keeping an eye on things in the dorm to revamping the Cornhuskers offense, Tom Osborne proved himself worthy of a chance at leading his home state Nebraska football team into its next generation of greatness. We'll chat with Coach Osborne about his head coaching career and what he's up to today in part two. In the meantime, please visit the Game Before the Money's Facebook page and website. Thank you for listening to part one of the Game Before the Money podcast featuring Nebraska coaching legend Tom Osborne. Thanks to our sponsor, nbautographs.com. That's N as in Namath, B as in Bolitnikoff, nbautographs.com. Also, thank you to our transcription partner, Sonics. Sonics.ai. Any opinion expressed on this program doesn't necessarily reflect the opinions of anyone else including our sponsors.